0: We can turn over in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, also be in prayer for Mario and and, um, Jerry and Dave, they're all going down to the Shepherds Conference and we'll be down there together all week and so we're praying that God will uh, just bless our hearts, it's a wonderful time of uh, just worship and and music as well as just solid teaching for a good five, three or four days and... um, Uh, Just be praying that uh, uh, everything goes well and that we get back safely on Saturday. Uh, Well, We find ourselves back in our study of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and uh, we're dealing with biblical principles for singleness and marriage, and Paul is bringing to our attention some profound truths through our study, and it's interesting as we... I've read this chapter over and over and over in preparation for these messages. Um, It really seems that the Apostle Paul, from the very beginning when he became a follower of Christ, when he became a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, he began to relate uh, his relationship with Christ to everything else in his life. And he does it in a lot of different ways. And while the church has tended to think that Paul is simply just a theologian, uh, Paul's doctrine really was always given not for idle speculation, but it was really meant as a basis of his living. This is how he lived his life. And the overriding emphasis, really, of his writing is that all areas, all areas of our lives, are to come under the influence of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just part of our lives. Um, This was not an idea that came naturally to me as I became a Christian, because when I became a Christian, I was just 19. And really, to be honest, I was focused more on not going to hell than anything else. (laughs) I mean, the thought of going to hell kind of put the fear of God in me, and I thought, wow, I don't want to do that, Um, and I was really focused even after I became a Christian um, on eternity, on eternal things, not so much how it relates to my everyday living, and I heard a lot of um, debates on who would be in heaven and uh, all that, but I, I heard very little of how we should live here on earth. And that's an important concept, too. And so I worked out a compartment, really, in my life for my religion. I did this even before I was a Christian, as a Catholic, and that was the religion department of my life. And, you know, that, that's I went to Mass and did all the things the church told me to do. And even after I became a Christian, I went to church and all that. But it, it was kind of walled off in a weird way, mentally, at least, from the rest of my life. And Paul really doesn't allow that to happen. And I knew all these things. I knew that Paul had written in Romans chapter 3, uh, 10, and 23, that we're all sinners. I mean, that's a concept that everybody has to understand if they're going to come to Christ. Um, Or Romans 5, 8, that God loves us. That's a concept we need to understand if we're going to come to Christ. And I even understood the concept that if we believe in Christ and confess him as our Lord and Savior, that he saves us, Romans 10. But it wasn't until I really began to read further on in the book of Romans when I came to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, when Paul says, therefore, <laughs> therefore. Um, and what he did in Romans chapter one. When he said, therefore, was he, he created a bond between our relationship with God in Christ and our lives practically every day here on this earth. That's what Paul wanted to do. He just didn't want it to seep into our, our, our brains and not be able to work its way out into our lives. And so many times in the Christian lives, at least that's what I've seen, People know all kinds of verses. They've memorized this. They've been through programs. They've done studies. They listen to radio and TV, all Christian, of course, all this stuff. But you look at their life, and there's no translation of all that knowledge into their life. And so we have to be careful of that. And Paul was very quick to point out that, you know what? You can know theology till the cows come home, but if you don't practically put it in to your life. If you don't have a therefore, based on what I know, here's how I'm going to live, experience, there's something missing. And that was really, I began to understand that God was interested in helping us bring order and bring meaning and bring purpose into every circumstance, every situation, even every relationship in my life. And Paul's first principle really here in Corinthians chapter 1, dealt with marriage. He dealt with marriage. And he wanted us to understand that one's faith in Christ ought to strengthen one's marriage and not create unhealthy tensions for it. And sometimes that's what happens. And so we've been going through this study of 1 Corinthians 7, and we've been asking questions that the Corinthians were asking Paul. After all, that's why he wrote this letter, because they had certain questions that they needed answered. And so he wanted to make it very clear that, you know what, there has to be a connection between your Christianity even and your marriage. Um, And one of the first questions Paul had to deal with was from Christians who were married but who wondered if maybe they were able to serve Christ better with their whole being if they withdrew from the marriage. So they were married, and then they came to Christ, and they thought, well, maybe we shouldn't be married anymore. And that was one of the questions. And we asked that. Are normal physical relationships between a man and a woman somehow wrong? Are they unspiritual? The answer was no. And then secondly, we said, should the formerly married remarry? And we talked about that situation. See, and, and we said that one's faith can really furnish the ideas of marriage and be the, the relationship, uh, be to that relationship kind of what the compass is to the navigator. You know, you can be a, a navigator on a ship in the middle of the ocean. If you have a compass, you can maybe look at that compass and it'll tell you where to go. But until you move the wheel of the ship and actually go to where the compass is telling you, you're going to be lost. And see, and that's the same thing in our marriages. Sometimes we look at God's word and we say, yeah, that's what it says. But we don't put feet to the message. And so the biblical teaching that one's marriage was really to be the primary human relationship of one's life for a commitment. And the teaching that the ideal marriage was, of all life, urged a long-time investment. It's it's not going to come easy. Marriage is an investment. It sometimes is a painful investment, but it's an investment. Sometimes it's a glorious investment. And so for the Christian partner to have experienced God's love and God's forgiveness, it should become a source of dealing with problems, even with an unbelieving spouse. And so to hold us before God's plan for marriage, Paul brings up, these certain questions that they were asking, and they said, they, you know, they, want to, they need these answered. This is, this is kind of affecting the church here in Corinth. Um, now, I can understand how easy it is for Christians, especially in the name of obedience to Christ, to neglect their marriages. I see this all the time. Um, most of us realize that those who do, do not nourish their relationship with their spouse weaken it. But somehow we feel that if we do that, if we neglect our marriage for the sake of the church, well then, that's, that's a good excuse. No, it's not. And I remember when I was first married, that's kind of the mentality I had. You know, yeah, okay, we're married now, but you know, ministry comes first. And it did for several years. But you know what? I, I, I failed to understand that, wait a minute, my, I had my priorities all messed up. So if that meant, you know, I had to spend many more hours in ministry than nurturing my relationship with my wife, well, that was good. That was a good thing. That was okay. It was easier for me to be involved in ministry than it was to be involved in my own marriage just because of my own personality, So I almost used ministry as an excuse to avoid the hard work of marriage until we went and saw a counselor one day. (laughs) And I realized, wow, I'm really missing the boat here. (laughs) I'm I'm not doing what I need to be doing as a husband. And so it kind of put the train back on the tracks, you might say. I mean, we were totally committed to our marriage, but there were some things that were going under the bridge that we didn't see. And see, feeling exposed to the possibility of failure and being vulnerable to failure, it just never entered my mind. Really, until a couple years ago, we had a a dear couple who ended up getting a divorce. Christian couple. And we thought, "What? what? This is impossible, and it kind of rattled me a little bit, thinking, wow, that can happen to them. Could it happen to us? Well, it could, if you don't invest time, if you don't nurture your relationship with your spouse. And so it's important that marriage has a high priority in our lives. And we have to draw upon our relationships with Christ in order to make these marriages work. And so thirdly, today, we, and I, we touched on this last time a little bit, what are the alternatives for those who are married? Um, now, you've got to understand what happens here in the church of Corinth. You know, a wife, say a wife comes to hear the gospel, she believes in the gospel, she's saved, and now she has an unconverted husband. She has a husband who is still in his paganism, she has a husband who is still unbelieving, and she's in a situation where she can claim, hey, you know what, I'm unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Should I just leave? That's what was happening in the church of Corinth. She was asking the question, Am I, is it okay for me to have a relationship with a person who is, is part of the kingdom of Satan and not the kingdom of God? That's really what the question is. Uh, you know, in the language of Paul in Second Corinthians, is this Christ with Belial? Uh, is this light with darkness joined together? Is this sin in righteousness? Is this marriage even going to be blessed? They were asking those kind of questions. And of course, the Lord's teaching on divorce, and we looked at this, was there is isn't no divorce. Um, so the question comes, well, what are the alternatives for those who are married? And that's what he says here in verse 10, to those who are married, those of you who are married, Now, he was talking to those who were single before. We covered that. If you can stay single, great. But it's better to marry for the sake of passion and all those things. So now he's talking to the married. He says, I give instructions, and not I, but the Lord. So he's talking about what the Lord had said. This is directly from the Lord. The wife shouldn't leave her husband. Why? Because God hates divorce. And because God joins together every couple. Now, the Bible says what God has joined together, let not man separate. So he reiterates really what the Lord taught here. God hates divorce. Don't divorce one man, one woman, one union for life. No separation. He makes that very clear. Now, Divorce is a reality, and we talked about that, and there are certain situations where in the area of, basically there's two situations, adultery, where you have a spouse that's being unfaithful sexually in the relationship. That's one reason for exception, I should say, for divorce. Another exception is if, in this case, if Say the wife becomes a believer and the the unbelieving husband doesn't come to Christ and he says, you know what, I'm done. I'm I'm leaving. That's the other exception for divorce. Those two exceptions. That's it. Now, some people say, well, what about, you know, is that all the Bible says about Yeah, that's all the Bible says. It gives those two exceptions. Adultery and the unbelieving spouse leaving. That's it. Well, what happens if you're in a abusive relationship the bible doesn't speak to that it doesn't i mean I, in a way i wish it did but it doesn't so what do you do practically you know the advice is the same you know no woman no man should be part of an abusive relationship so what happens? Well, if you're in an abusive relationship, the first thing you do is you contact the authorities. That's what you do. Most people won't do that. But that's what God really calls us to be in, subject to those who are in authority over us. So when you're in a, a especially a physically abusive relationship, Relationship. There's emotionally abusive relationships, too. I understand that. Well, aren't those reasons for divorce? No, they're not. I can't tell you that based upon God's Word. Well, you mean I should stay in that relationship? Well, no, there's something called separation. There's something, and I guarantee you, if you're a spouse who's being abused physically, it takes one phone call. And the authorities will remove that person from your life. You don't have to worry about it. Um, So you have to be understanding here the only two reasons for divorce are adultery and the unbeliever divorces the believer. But we have such a thing as separation. I don't think anybody's called to stay in that kind of a, maybe a physically or sexually abusive relationship. That's not what you're called to do. You don't just submit to that and be quiet. You ask for help. You ask for help from the church. You ask for help from the authorities. You remove yourself maybe from that situation until maybe perhaps God works in that abuser's heart. And it's not just men that are abusive, by the way. There's women. There's a lot of women that are abusive. So, you know, we got to get it. We have a kind of a... Uh, thinking that well, it's always the man that's the abusive one. No, I've seen a lot of marriages where it's the woman who's abusive, and I mean even physically abusive. And so you have to remember that you know what wasn't well, that a cause for divorce? No, it's not. It's not. Now they may get tired of your Christian stance. They may get tired of you wanting to be involved in spiritual things, and they may want to say, you know what, I'm out of here. I want a divorce. Don't think just because you're a Christian, you have to die on the hill of your marriage when the unbelieving spouse is saying, I want out. I've talked to a lot of couples where, especially sometimes it's the woman who, you know, the the man is not a believer, he's abusive, and he wants a divorce. And because she's a Christian, she's saying, well, I'm not going to give him one. It's like, no, that's not scriptural. The Bible says if he wants to walk, let him walk. You're not held in bondage to that relationship, if he's an unbeliever. That's very clear. And I understand that that's a, what about the kids? What, I understand that. But God understands it too. And he understands it even better than you do, or I do. And God st- understands exactly what you're going through, no matter what it may be. And so we have to fall back on principles that are in God's word. And so I just wanted to give you that caveat there because I know it's probably on people's minds. Well, what about abuse? Is that a reason for divorce? Well, no, it's not. But you know what? I'm not saying you stay in an abused relationship. You could separate yourself from your spouse for a period of time and maybe give God a chance to work in their heart. Maybe you'll see them eventually come to Christ. You don't know. But if the unbelieving partner wants to stay with you, well then, let him stay. You stay in that marriage. I'm not saying in an abusive relationship, doesn't mean you can separate and not divorce. Matter of fact, we've had situations where that's actually worked, that the two parties separate for a while, and then, wow, they realize, wow, they really, you know, they do want to be married. And sometimes it's the, it's the unbeliever that comes to Christ. Um, so, you know, you have to be aware that all those different situations arise. And you don't know whether you are going to be that person that brings that person to Christ. And that's really what he He says there in verse 12, To the rest I say, not I, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. Same thing with the the wife. On the other hand, if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband, listen to this, is made holy because of his wife. This doesn't mean salvation. We mentioned this. It's not saying that this person is going to be saved on your coattails. That would go against every other scripture we know about salvation. But what is he he's saying here? He's saying basically you become a sanctifying instrument for your household. You know, if you're a Christian and you live in a household full of non-Christians, you're going to be a positive, hopefully, sanctifying influence in that household under your, of your spouse, over your children, over your children. There's a lot of times it's, it's called common grace. So they're not talking about salvation. We're simply talking about the wonderful blessings that God bestows on a believer. And when he does that, it spills over to the non-believer as well. Um, so God pours out his blessings on the redeemed and on his children. And in the opposite, really, of, of what we think um, you know, I need to shake that partner because he's, he's an unbeliever and, and he's a, a pagan and he'll defile me. God says, no, you're, you're not thinking right if that's your mentality. Think of the positive influence you may have in his life or her life. So in verse 15, he creates kind of another scenario here. Um, he says, if he, if he wants to leave, let him leave. If he wants to take himself out of the marriage technical term for divorce and if that's the case you let him go um, but if the unbeliever partner separates let it be so in such cases the brother or sister is not enslaved in other words the marriage is over you're even free to remarry if you want to in that case but then he says God has called you to peace. In other words, you shouldn't be fighting with an unbelieving spouse about sustaining your marriage if they want out. You just grant it to them. Verse 16, for how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? See, a lot of times people think of marriage as an evangelistic tool. Sometimes they think of dating as an evangelistic tool. You know, well, I'm dating this, this, this gal, and uh, was she a believer? Well, no, but she could be. Maybe she will be. <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't go down that road. God says don't don't practice that. See, we think that dating or even marriage sometimes is an evangelistic tool. It's not. I mean, this is kind of an evangelistic context here, but don't think somehow just hanging around an unbeliever they're going to get somehow converted usually i see the opposite happen they go into a unequally yoked dating relationship or even marriage relationship thinking that well eventually they'll come to christ and i'll have a positive influence even the bible says here how do you you know you could have a a, a sanctifying you could be a sanctifying instrument in that marriage and what happens Usually it's the believer that starts to compromise. It's the believer that starts to be drawn toward the world because of of the grip that the unbelieving boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife has on that person. And see, this is what his point is here. He says, How do you know whether you're going to save your wife or your husband? You don't know. That's up to God. You don't use marriage as an excuse. You don't use dating as an excuse to evangelize. That's for God to decide. And so he comes down to verse 17, and he begins to ask here. Now, remember, these people were were of a a pagan background. They weren't really necessarily from a Jewish background. So they were purely pagans who were a lot of these people in the Corinthian church, and they came to Christ. And in verse 17, he begins to kind of ask the question, should salvation change our marriage status? Should salvation change our marriage status? And here's what he says in verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Notice it says, let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. This is a very personal thing. This is why I get very nervous sometimes in the Christian in kind of community when you have these people who think that they're going to be the, you know, the dating, the dating game or whatever and hook people up with each other and all oh, this will work. No, now there's nothing wrong with introducing some friends or whatever, but the idea that, you know, you're, you're going to be matchmaker. That's, that's your, 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 your that's not your place. First of all, that's God's place. Um, I remember when I was single; I didn't get married until I was 33, and I just, man, it was it was hard being single, being a youth pastor, especially in the church I was at, First Baptist Church, Fremont. We had a pastor, and every time they'd have some singer come in, or you know, some niece of the pastor or whatever, you know, and she'd get up and do her solo, and the pastor would get up. and By the way, our youth pastor's uh, single, you know, and I'm just like, oh my god. You know, and then they'd invite you over to dinner and then the person would be there. And I'd, it just wasn't there in my stage of life. It's, I wasn't interested in anybody. I went to a college down in, a Bible college down in San Diego called Christian Heritage College. And they used to call it, they nicknamed it Christian Marriage College. Because they were so excited because I was single, I was young, and they thought, "Oh, you'll be married in a couple years. And it just puts something inside me. No, I won't. Like, I just rebelled against the whole system. Like, I am not getting married here. You know, just to kind of rebel, you know. And God had a plan. God had a purpose. But, you know, the idea of changing your marital status because of your salvation, that's why he says, hey, God is the one who changes that, not you. Uh, Salvation really shouldn't change anything when it comes to our relationships. Um. If you're a believer and you have, you're, you're married, you know what? You don't have to give up intimate relations just because now you're a Christian. No, that's part of God's design. Um, and he, he goes down here and he, he begins to use a very practical application, one that they would understand. He says in verse 18, was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Look at what he says. Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. I mean, I don't even want to think about this. Okay, I mean, was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. What's he saying? You remain as you are. When you come to Christ, just be content to be who God has created you to be. And he says here, the reason is for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision but what? What's he say? But keeping the commandments of God. See, once you come to Christ, there's a lot of other things that you can be focused on rather than, well, should I, now should I dissolve my marriage because my partner's not a believer or should I get married or what? Just focus on Christ. Focus on your new relationship with Christ Focus on following his commands. Verse 20, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. See, this is a principle that Paul points out. And he uses circumcision, he uses slavery, which was they had back in that time. He says, were you a slave? In verse 21, when called, do not be concerned about it. God knows you're a slave. But if you gain can gain your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. In other words, hey, if if you're if you're a slave and the owner says, Well, now you're a Christian, you don't need to be a slave anymore, okay, fine. Doesn't mean you have to stay to be a slave or not. Verse 22, for he who is called in the Lord as a slave is a free man, freedman on the Lord. Likewise, he who is who was free when called is a slave of Christ. Sometimes people ask me, I just had somebody ask me a question the other day, well, what about free will? What about free will? And I always ask them the question, well, where do you see free will in the Bible? Well, don't don't you think we have a free will? I said, well, you didn't answer my question. Where do you see it in the Bible? Well, don't you see it? I said, no, I see the opposite. What do you mean? I'll say, well, what, what does the Bible refer to us before we're Christians? Sinners? Okay. But also what? Slaves to what? slaves to sin, that doesn't sound like a free person. If you're a slave to anything, you're not a free person. Now, you're free in Christ, but even then, whose slave are you? You're Christ. You're a slave to God's desires. You're a slave to God's purpose. So he says, you know what? Whether you're called as a slave or you're not, don't worry about it. I mean, if you're able to get out of the slavery after you become a Christian, great, you know, but don't make a big deal about it because maybe God wants you in that household. Maybe God wants you in that marriage so that, that the rest of the family will hear about Christ. And so he points out there very clearly, don't be concerned for he who has called you in the Lord is free, and then he says, you were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. I think sometimes slaves of men can even relate to the culture. So many times we're so concerned with what the culture thinks. Don't you want to be culturally relevant? Don't, aren't you concerned about... No. We should be a slave to Christ, not a slave of men. So in verse 24 he says, So brothers, in whatever condition... Each was called, Let there let him remain with God. And so he makes it very clear. If you were a Christian, if you, before you were a Christian, if you were married and you became a Christian, you stay married. If you're in a marriage with an unbeliever, what happens? Well, if the unbeliever puts up with you, you stay in the marriage. If it's an abusive relationship, you pull yourself away from the presence of that other person for a period of time. And maybe God will work. So it's, it's, it's an important point to understand. So there's another question here on their mind and Paul has to deal with in verse 25. He says, now concerning the betrothed, or concerning virgins, is another word, I have no command from the Lord. In other words, the Lord didn't address this while he was here on earth. But I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. What's he saying? He's not saying that, well, this is just my opinion, as I talked about this before. He's not. Paul's just not saying, oh, by the way, the Lord didn't talk about this at all, <clears throat> but here's what I think. He's not opining on this. <clears throat> He's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's why he says, this is trustworthy information I'm giving you. This isn't my own opinion, but... By the way, the Lord didn't even address this while he was here on earth. Verse 26, he says, I think that in view of our present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Once again, there's the principle. If you come to Christ single, just stay single. If you come to Christ married, stay married. Let God worry about those kind of things. Notice, though, in verse 26, he says, The present distress the present distress. Well, well, what present distress is he talking about here? He's really talking about, you know, they had challenges back then when you became a Christian. Um, I mean, there was persecution all over the place for, for Christians. Remember, that's what Paul did when he was Saul, right? He persecuted the church. So being a Christian back then... It wasn't like being a Christian really today in America where we have the freedom to gather and do all that. I mean, back then it could have cost your your life. It could have cost your head. And so there was some real pondering when people came to Christ, when they took a stance for Christ, because they could be down the city square with their head on a block if things didn't work out. And so what he's saying is, look, if you're single and you've never been married... Don't go down that road if you don't have to. Now, if you can't deal with being single, passion-wise and and all that, then, yeah, you can get married. There's nothing wrong with getting married. But he says, because of all the persecution and stuff, think about it. You're going to get married. You're going to have a spouse. All of a sudden, what? You're going to have that spouse to worry about. You're going to have kids. You're going to have the kids to worry about. That's what he's talking about here, the present distress he said, man, it's a lot easier to go through trials by yourself, would you agree, than with a family? It just is. Um, I mean, when I was single, you know, I drove to Park City, Utah. I was on my way back to Pennsylvania. I ended up stopping in Park City, Utah to get some gas, and I ended up spending the whole winter there. I was by myself. I had everything that I owned in my car, my car. 77 Buick Regal. And while I was talking to my brother on the phone, the rain turned to snow, and I thought, I'm going to spend the night here. So I slept in my car in the parking lot. I woke up the next morning. I didn't know it was morning because it was still dark in the car, and I thought, it seems like I slept a while. And I opened the door, and about 14 inches of snow fell on my lap. (laughs) I like to ski, and I thought, hey, why not? And I remember telling God, I'll give you a week. I need a place to live and a job. That was on a a Tuesday, so I gave him until next Monday, and he took every every minute, (laughs) you know, but long and short of it, I got involved in a church there, God provided. I wouldn't do that if I had a wife and kids, are you crazy, (laughs) sleep in a car, sub-zero weather? I mean, so life changes when you're married. You become more concerned, and that's kind of what he talks about here. He says, I think that it's good for the present distress that you remain as you are. Are you bound to a wife? Well, don't seek to be free. Don't, don't worry about that. Salvation shouldn't change that. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry and you have not sinned, if the betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. In other words, it's okay to marry. He's not saying laying down a law saying you have to be single. And we talked about that the The second week, I think, of this series that, you know, if you're dealing with passions and things like that, then you need to get married. But marriage isn't for everyone, frankly. It's probably for more people than not. But it says, and it states the principle here in verse 28, it says, She has not sinned, yet those who marry, what does it say? Will have worldly troubles. Can I get a witness? (laughs) Be careful. Be careful. Tread lightly. You're going to have worldly troubles. What's he talking about? You're going to be concerned with the world. You're going to be concerned with providing. You're going to be concerned with care and nurturing your family and your children, your wife, your husband. That's just going to be part of who you are because you love that person. But if you're by yourself, you can put up with a lot more usually he says, I I want to spare you that. That's what Paul's saying. So if you're single and you came to Christ and you can deal with it, with all the persecution going on, that's probably a good way to go. But you know what? If you can't, it's okay. Go get married. And by the way, the word back in in verse 25, the betrothed, it can also mean men, male virgins or women virgins. It kind of, in the context, is addressing women, I think. But it can apply to either So it really means those who have never entered into marriage. Verse 29, this is what I mean, brothers, that the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives, listen to this, live as though they had none. In other words, you know what? Don't think so much. Don't set your mind on this world so much that it consumes you because the time here is short. See, that's why marriage is just for here. It's not eternal. I mean, you may love your spouse, you know, more than anyone else in the entire world. But guess what? It's over when you die. It's over. There's not going to be marriage in heaven. Now, uh, most of us, that troubles us. Some of us, maybe it's like, well, I can't wait for that day. I don't know. I don't know which, which angle you're coming from, <clears throat> but marriage is not eternal. And so he says that, you know, because this persecution, the time is short, you know, if you have a wife, and I mean, he's not saying, you know, don't provide and all that, but he's saying mentally, and especially today, we need to be focused on the Lord's return and things that are eternal. Because he also says here in verse 30, those who mourn as though they were not mourning. In other words, this is all temporary. Those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. Those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. And this is the principle. What's he say? For the present form of this world is what? Is passing away. This is not eternity, folks. We're here for a split second. And he's just saying, I get it. You're going to be under distress. You're going to have some issues. You're going to deal with relationship issues, financial issues, political issues, all kinds of things. Work issues. Just remember, everything we see around us, it's going to be gone. It's not going to matter in the end. Verse 32, I want you to be free from the anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. How to please the Lord. Why? Because he doesn't have a spouse. He doesn't have any kids. He doesn't have a family. But the married man is anxious about worldly things. How to please his wife. And his interests are divided. There's nothing wrong with being married. There's nothing wrong with seeking to please your wife. That's what we're called to do. I'll say this. I've seen some men that have an imbalance in that issue. The only thing that matters is pleasing their wife. Even if she's wrong, they want to please her. Sometimes you have to stand up and you have to say, no, as the head of this household, we're not going to be involved in this. We're not going to be doing that. I'm the leader. You're not. That's what biblical leadership is in the home. Verse 34. And his interests are divided, and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband, or you can even say her kids. (laughs) And he says in verse 35, I say this for your own benefit. Not to lay any restraint upon you. In other words, he's not saying, if you're single and you want to get married, okay, go get married. But don't think you have to. Or if you're married and you come to Christ, don't think you have to dissolve your marriage. But he's trying to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. You know we have to remember that our <clears throat> our um, devotion is to the Lord, to the Lord alone. I remember, before we got married, <clears throat> I told my wife, "I, I don't want to be rude, but I just want you to understand that um, I love you very much, but I'm never going to love you more than Jesus Christ." And she shot right back, "Good, because I feel the same way." <laughs> That humbled me, but (laughs) I thought, wow, I'll come up with this profound... See, nothing kids, family, spouses, whatever, should come in between our devotion to the Lord. And when you're married, and you have kids, and you have issues, and you have all kinds of... It's very easy to let that wall down. That can just devour you. And so... What are the options here? Well, you, for the virgins, you can stay married or you can get married. Whatever God chooses for your your life. And then in verse 36, there's another question. Well, what if you're a father of one of these unbetrothed individuals? And I think here, ideally, it's talking about a daughter probably because the father's kind of interested in their, their virgin daughter in that way. He says, if anyone thinks that he is not behaving Properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and he has he, he has to be, let him do as he wishes, let them marry, it is no sin. So he points out that, you know, back then, a lot of times, you know, uh, families were just everything. And so some of these individuals would come to Christ and... Uh, The father would say, you know, I'm just going to take care of you, my daughter. I don't want you getting involved with these unruly men around here. I don't want you this, that, whatever. You're just going to, I'm just going to take care of you. And that's what he's saying here is, hey, if your daughter wants to marry, it's okay for her to marry. All right? It's not a a bad thing. It also addresses those who are, maybe were engaged at that time. It's okay to, to go ahead and get married. And he says in verse 37, But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity but having his desire under control, and has determined that this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. In other words, you know what? If, if, you're, if you have a, a, a daughter, maybe, that is, is unmarried and you don't want her to be married, you don't want her to get involved in whatever, that, that's okay too, But if if she can't handle it, it's okay for her to get married. So verse 38, so then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. And so once again, he's not putting down a law here saying, you know what, fathers, if you have um, an unmarried daughter, it's it's not sinful for her to get married. Um, You can go ahead and, and allow that. And, and really, what he's, he's doing in this whole context is he's basically you know, you, I don't know if you watched r- car racing at all, um, you know, the Indianapolis Speedway, all that stuff sometimes when there's a problem on the track, right, what do they do? They raise a what? Yellow flag. right? The yellow flag means what? The yellow flag means caution. The yellow flag means that, you know what? You don't have to stop. You don't stop what you're doing, but it's a signal for those drivers that they have to hold their place. If you're in third place, you have to stay in third place. You can't butt ahead when there's a yellow flag out. You have to hold your place as they go around the, the, the track. They're neither to gain ground or lose ground, but they're to stay in place. And see, Paul is really communicating to these believers in the Corinthian church. There were new converts, um, he's flashing a yellow flag at them, a yellow light. And he says, you know what? Just be focused on serving Christ. What he wrote was never intended to be used to make Christianity a a preserver of the status quo. He's not saying that. But it is wise advice for the circumstances that prevailed in the Corinthian church at the time. And so he, he wants to know here what, what is the, the options here? So he says, you know what? If, if you're single, um, you can stay single. If you want to be married, you can be married. That's fine. Well, there's only one group left here in verse 39. <clears throat> Basically, the widows. <clears throat> if your spouse or widower, widower, if your spouse has passed away, what are your options? That's what, what, what Paul asks. Should widows remarry? And he says in verse 39, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes. Only, what? In the Lord. So he's addressing a believer here. He's laying down the gauntlet and he's saying, look, if you're a Christian, you have no business marrying someone who is not a believer. That's just not a good thing. That's where the unequally yoked aspect of marriage comes up. And so he says that, you know what, if your husband or spouse dies, you're you're free to remarry. That's okay. Only do it in the Lord. Now, your spouse may not give you the freedom to do that. That's between you and them. But but the Lord does. Okay? Verse 40. Yet in my judgment, she talking to women here, she is happier if she remains as she is. This is Paul. What's he mean, in my judgment? Well, apparently Paul was married. Apparently Paul um, lost his wife. Apparently she died. And he was just able to serve the Lord in the, the final days of his life, without his spouse, without the concerns of the world, without the anxiety of caring for his wife. And so that's what he says. He's kind of just saying, hey, you know, in my judgment, you're happier just to remain as you are. That's that principle that he points out over and over again. Don't make it all about marriage because marriage or singleness because it's not for all eternity. It's just temporary here. So what have we learned? Um, We've learned a couple things. If God's design is for you, to get married, get married. <laughs> get married. If you're divorced or widowed, you know what? And you can stay single, stay single. If not, you have grounds for remarriage because your spouse is deceased. Get married. But if you, if you, if you can stay single, stay single. Um, if you're married to a believer, remain married. The only two things are, or the only one thing for believers in marriage would be adultery. If you're married to a non-believer and he wants to stay or she wants to stay, then what are you called to do? You're called to remain in that relationship and you can be a sanctified blessing to your family. If you're married to an unbeliever and he wants out of the relationship, he's saying, I want a divorce. As a believer, you're free to say, you know what? Go. As a matter of fact, that's what Scripture indicates you should do. You're not in bondage to that person. Now, as we've gone through that, I know that even in a church our size, we have people that have already messed all this stuff up. (laughs) And you're sitting there going, what do I do now? You know what The, the good news is? Is that when you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, it's about God's forgiveness. Um, I mean, there, there had to be a lot of forgiveness in the church of Corinth because these people were messed up. And rather than live in your past and say, well, what about this? What about that? You know what? Accept his grace for today and live from now on the way he wants you to live, a way that pleases him. If you're married, work on your marriage. Stay committed to your marriage. If you're single, remain as you are. God brings someone along. It's okay for you to marry. But stay pure in your singleness. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you for your principles concerning singleness and marriage that we've looked at the last couple of weeks. I just pray that this would be practical for people. I know that there's marriages represented here in our church, even though it's a small little church. But we have people that are married to other Christians. We have people that are married to non-Christians. We have people that are single. This applies to all of us. And Father, maybe there's someone here tonight feeling the pain of that relationship in your past. Lord, we know that your forgiveness is there for them, that you can cleanse all of our Sins according to your riches and grace. And so if you just ask, and you confess your sins, and we repent, we turn from our sins to the Savior, um, that's what God desires us to do. And Lord, help us not to be judgmental as people when we look at other people and their relationships. Father, we don't know. We just know that these relationships are temporary at best. We should have a high commitment to our marriages, but they're temporary. They're not eternal. And so, whether it's single people or married people, I pray that we would just leave their condition up to them and up to you. You know them clearly. You know how to provide for their needs. And we pray that you would just do that according to your will. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.